morning, GLC. Hope all is well with you guys, you guys online. Um, so there was a mix up with the emails. <clears throat> so um, I actually had to write down um, the names the way they sounded when I listened. So um, if I have to pause for a second, excuse me, please. But um, today our uh, reading is going to be coming from Colossians 4. 7 through 17. Again, that's Colossians 4, 7 through 17. So I'm going to pronounce it the way it's, I heard it pronounced. Okay. So give me a little grace. <laughs> All right. So again, that's Colossians 4, 7 through 17. And it reads, Tuikas will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Anasimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristihas, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is Eustace, uh, Jesus, who is Eustace, you guys know. <laughs> These are the only men of the circumcision among my workers, fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. All right. Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Ladikia La um, and in <laughs> Yeropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Ladikia and to Numpha and the church in her house. And when his, this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Ladikia Seans. And see that you also read, this, read the letter from Radikia, and say to um, Ahapus, um, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. This is God's word. Now let's pray. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word, Lord. Um, I pray that our hearts are uh, ready to receive, that you would soften our hearts and that uh, you will use Brian today as he preaches your word and um, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus name amen amen well thank you brother for your boldness and your braveness all right not many others would get up and read those names and work through that so I definitely appreciate that Especially, he came prepared to read verse 18, 
but we had a guest speaker last week, so it pushed everything forward. Um, so, um, so he was doing battle with the names just before now, listening to them, trying to make sure he got them. Um, so we thank you so much. Not many others would get up and brave names like these today. So excited about the opportunity for us to study here in uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 through 17, a very encouraging section um, in this book, although I believe all, the, all of the book so far has been of great encouragement, and so hopefully that's been true of you as well. But uh, this, as we come to this section in our series, that's a call to live all of life in thankfulness to God. Uh, we come to this particular section, and the title of this sermon is Thankful for Co-Laborers. And so it's encouraging to see uh, the co-laborers in the life of Paul and how he views them and treats them and in turn how he commends them to the church at Colossae. But then also in doing so, he reminds them of, of the grace that has saved not just them, but many others. And just like it's true with us. The grace that has saved us has not just saved us. We're not the sole church that's seeking to spread the light of the gospel into the world, but the world is full of believers that have been saved by God's grace and, and now are working together alongside us as we work together to further the kingdom of God and to further His gospel. And so that is highly encouraging. Yeah, so here in Colossians 4, verses 7 through 17, Paul is reminding the Colossian believers that God has in his gospel-given ministry provided co-laborers to accomplish this ministry together. And that is a glorious good. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity now to look into your word, and we pray that you would bless our time. May it be faithfully presented, clearly presented. May it be an encouragement and a challenge to our hearts, not only to see that we have a world full of co-laborers in Christ through your grace, but how we can live as good co-laborers. We can seek to be the kind of co-laborers that encourage and strengthen and challenge one another. So give grace to us today as we look at this text. Not only us, give grace to your church uh, across the globe. Lord, we are so thankful for uh, the Curtis family and their ministry in the Mumbashi. And so we pray for New Life Church today. And we pray for Pastor Seth and Pastor Teo. That we continue to give grace to them there as they meet and encourage the believers, our co-laborers in Christ there. Lord, we continue to lift up as well uh, the Sanchez family. We're so thankful that we are able to uh, hear about their ministry in the DR and our prayers that we'd be able to partner with them. Lord, we do ask that you would just grant them strength as they uh, meet at, at Gospel Hope and get some training through the Summit uh, ministry as they go to plant churches in the DR. Lord, we pray that you would use their ministry well to see churches spring up there in that country. Lord, we continue to just pray that you would use the churches around our area to spread the light of the gospel here in this Joliet area and beyond. Lord, you are a God who is glorious and good, and your kingdom 
is uh, amazing, and it and and your your ministry to this world is just grace upon grace, and the opportunity just to be a part of it, to share the gospel with other people, to help them to to see how gloriously good you are. Lord, we are unworthy, and yet, Lord, I pray that our hearts will be so thankful for the opportunity to be a part of your great plan. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christianity is not a solo sport. Now, growing, growing up, I moved around a lot, and so as a missionary and coming back and forth, um, you know, being a part of team sports was kind of difficult. And so the idea of, so, not that I was like a tennis player or anything, but the idea of solo sports kind of was a little more understandable in my mind. Maybe I was more like solo gaming, I guess. I don't know. But as I was growing up. But as we look at God's plan and God's people, God commands an entire team, not a, just a lone player. An entire body, not just one part of it. A whole people, not just an individual. God's purpose in His world and the plan in His kingdom is not just about any one of us. It's true that we exist individually, but we're not meant to exist individualistically. Our individual lives are meant to serve the whole. And in fact, God created mankind for that purpose. But in turn, in mankind's rebellion, they, we, are, we are tempted to make life all about us. So when, when God creates Adam and Eve, what does He task them with? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Care for it. Tend it. It was not really about them. But when they fall into sin, what happens? The temptation is this fruit is good for you. And Eve sees it and is tempted by the goodness of the fruit and the desire to make one wise and how it looks tasty for her, her experience, her own experience. And then Adam also succumbs and eats of the fruit. What do we see? We see this this reality in which Adam and Eve are created as individual people and yet meant to serve the whole, meant to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, care for this world that God's created and spread His glory across the entire earth. And it is rather in sin that we see this individualisticness to us, this selfishness, this I have become now the center of my existence. And in essence, in some ways, I mean, we all exist within our little sphere of our life as, as the most important thing in that sphere. And everything else is meant to serve us. That's, that's where we are in our sinfulness. But that's not how we were created to be. And that's not how we are saved to be. That when Christ comes to redeem us from our fallenness and sin. He redeems us not to just be this one person around which the whole world resolves, but rather to be a part of God's team, a part of God's body, a part of God's people. And now our identity is not me, it's us in Him. Christ is the head. Christ is our ultimate purpose. And, and we've seen this in our text. I mean, 
when we saw in, in chapter 1, as, as we, starting in 15, although we can see it before as well, but I mean, Paul just starts to get into it when he's like, Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He goes on to spell out how glorious Jesus is. We understand then why he can write in chapter 3 that Christ is all. And the whole is meant to function completely under Jesus Christ as the head of the church. We are made to be a part of this team. We've been transferred to the kingdom of the Son so that we might live within that kingdom as His people. We might live within that kingdom serving Him, playing for His team, putting on the jersey of of the righteousness won by Jesus Christ. Christians. So it's not a solo sport at all. And Paul, Paul is someone we can often hold up. And and there's many reasons why we should hold him up. And yet we have to remember as well, Paul is not the church, as amazing as Paul is. Paul is also not the head of the church. And neither is Peter. I know I would have to debate my Roman Catholic friends about that, but Peter is not the head of the church and the Pope is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of this church. The church is ultimately not dependent on Paul. Blessed by Paul? Oh, yes. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament, right? I mean, blessed by him? Of course we are. Yeah. Strengthened by Paul? Yes. Requiring Paul? No. We should all be so thankful for Paul and his ministry, and yet God chose to use Paul just as He chooses to use anyone. And again, just like Christianity is not a solo sport, it is not solely about any one individual that's been saved by Christ. Even someone like Paul. Paul is just an instrument in the hand of the master carpenter Jesus Christ to build his church. And Paul himself, here in our text, reminds both the Colossian believers and then in God's providence and in God's care and giving us his word, he reminds us and every church as well. And he does this not just in Colossians, but in his other letters as well. He reminds the churches of the team dynamic that he works in. And in doing so, he encourages this team dynamic across the board in ministry. That we need one another. We are meant to work together. The church is not about any one of us. God's plan is not about any one of us. It is about all of us, because it's ultimately about Him. We are the body that serves the head. We are the people that serve our God. And so today, I want us to look at our text here. I want to ask two questions. So the first question is going to cover where he deals specifically with individuals. And then we're going to see how he shifts and begins to talk to the churches at large. And so the first question is, what do good co-laborers look like? We're going to look like the co-laborers, look at the co-laborers of Paul and see what they look like. And then in turn, the second question is, what do good 
co-laboring churches look like? And the idea here is to help us see you know, the, the, the very things Paul sees as, as essential and good within these co-laborers that minister together with him, within this team dynamic. These are the kind of people. And it's, and it's very interesting. So while, of course, Paul has this name, many of these brothers are, are rarely named in Scripture, maybe not, definitely not well-known in history. They're probably somewhat known in these churches, possibly. Um, and, and yet, Paul takes the pains to list them here. And in turn, okay, we take another step. God, in His desire to teach the church, in His desire to instruct them about who He is and how He works and how He uses us, has Paul write these names here for us. And these characteristics. And so here are men who in many respects, in many other ways, are forgotten by history. And yet for a brief moment, God says, but look, these are the kind of people that serve me. This is the kind of team dynamic I desire to have within my church. So, question number one, what do good co-laborers look like? What do good co-laborers look like? The first thing is loving. Loving, having or showing great care for one another. A good co-laborer is someone who expresses and demonstrates care for other people. And it's the reason why Paul is able to write, first of all, about Tychicus. And so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to, I'm going to give us a number of characteristics and I'm going to point out where we see the characteristics in our text. So the first place we see this idea of this loving relationship is in Tychicus. And Tychicus here in, in verse 7 is described as the beloved brother. Now, one maybe could say, well, maybe that's because he and Paul had this very tight relationship with one another. And, and that's possibly true. We don't know. We're not really told how tight of a bond they had. What we're told, though, is he is someone who demonstrates love so that we can understand his belovedness. He's someone who cares and is therefore cared for by Paul. But notice the way Paul writes it. He's not saying necessarily just that he's my beloved brother. He's saying he is a beloved brother. Which means that Paul's anticipation is not only that he would feel this care from Tychicus, but he has this, this, this very, um, very strong perception that when the Colossian believers come into contact with Tychicus, he's going to be a beloved brother to them as well. He is a beloved brother. Not just my beloved brother, but he's going to be experienced in that way by you as well. Why? Because Tychicus is someone who demonstrates great care for another. But not only that, we see this description as well of Onesimus in verse 9. Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. And the fact, as you read through Philemon, and I do believe this is the same Onesimus that we find in Philemon, what does Paul describe? This great care that Onesimus gave to him. As, as Paul's in prison and he comes in contact, we don't know how, but he comes in contact with Onesimus. We know Onesimus has fled from his master, Philemon, has run away. And so in Philemon, Paul is 
telling him he needs to return. And as Onesimus has run away, he's come into contact with Paul. He's gotten saved. And in getting converted and getting saved um, by the, the gospel preaching of Paul, then he, he begins to serve Paul until Paul sends him back to Philemon. And in that care, what do we find? We find this, this development of this, this understanding of Onesimus as this beloved brother, this, this one who loves, one who cares for someone. Not only that, we see Luke described as the beloved physician. And maybe we can understand there that, that, that Luke was Paul's physician. He probably did take care of Paul in many ways. Um, the reason I, I think Paul lists him this way is because that's, because that's the way he's known. Um, this is not like the most common job that you would find in the Roman Empire. And so um, describing Luke, he describes him as a physician, which they automatically would connect uh, with the Luke who wrote the third gospel and uh, the book of Acts. But notice, he doesn't just say Luke the physician, right? You could say that, right? that would be true. He says Luke the beloved physician. Now, I'm not saying none of these other names here were loving. I'm just saying Paul takes pains to point out the lovingness of some of these people who are connected to him and part of his team co-laborers because that's part of what it means to co-labor with one another in gospel ministry is to have and show great care for one another. But not only that, we can also see uh, a, second, a second characteristic of co-laborers is that they are faithful. Faithful. Again, Tychicus here is described as not just the beloved brother, but the faithful minister. And we see that also of Onesimus, who is described as the faithful and beloved brother. Faithfulness here is the idea of having or showing great loyalty. And, and specifically, what do we see here? We see not just a loyalty to Paul, although they probably would have demonstrated that, but notice how Tychicus is described. He's described as the faithful what? Minister. He's faithful in his ministry. Here in this text, the idea of this faithfulness is, as a co-laborer in, in gospel ministry is that you have great loyalty to the Christian mission, to what God is sending all of us to do. All of us are meant to go out and share the gospel with the lost and to, to know God and, and to, to love Him and serve Him with our lives, to glorify Him and enjoy Him to be together as His people, to encourage one another and confront one another and challenge one another. We see that in Scripture that these are the things God calls His people to in ministry. I mean, that's why our mission statement is what it is, that we gather for the Gospel, grow in the Gospel, and give out the Gospel. We gather because that's what God calls His people to do, to encourage and strengthen and challenge one another. And that's what we're doing here today. We're meant to grow in the Gospel. So as we're studying the, the God's Word together, but then as we're also studying it in our homes and together in smaller groups and whatever, we're growing in the Gospel. We know God more and we glorify Him more and we enjoy Him more. And then we're, we're giving out the Gospel. We're taking that glory that is welled up in us and that enjoyment that is welled up in us and we're just spewing it out on the world. I don't know, that's kind of a weird... We're letting it out so others can see it. 
All right? That's what we're meant to do. Right? That's what we're called to do. And so Tychicus here, as Paul looks at him, he says he's, he's faithful in his ministry. Now, as a minister, we can maybe think that he's a pastor, but we're not told that. Maybe he's an evangelist. We're not told that. We're just told he ministers. And the fact is, all of us are called to be faithful ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all called to live our lives as ministry. Not only that, we see Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. If Tychicus is a pastor, we see Onesimus isn't described in exactly the same way. He's just, he's just one of the brothers. So if, if we want to understand minister and Tychicus as pastor or evangelist or something like that, we can go then to Onesimus and see there's a faithfulness in him as a brother in Christ. He, is, he demonstrates loyalty as well, just as one of the brothers to the Christian mission. And so good co-laborers are like that. They are faithful. Not, not ultimately to a person. Why? Because again, it's not about the individual, right? But to Christ as the head and to His mission, to His church. Faithful. Third one is serving. The idea here of living out uh, the, the carrying out the wants of another, living out the wishes or the wills or the wants, desires of another. And we see this is true of Tychicus. He's the fellow servant. So again, verse 7, a fellow servant in the Lord, which, you know, we could, we could take all of these and really begin to talk about, you know, an a overarching theme of humility. And notice he is a fellow servant. What is Paul describing himself as? If he's a if Tychicus is a fellow servant with Paul, then Paul himself is also a servant. He is a servant in the Lord. They're living out, they're carrying out the wants of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's one way that Tychicus is described here. I think Tychicus is such a wonderful example. Just it's in this one verse or you can you you can add verse 8 because he gives them a task of just what ministry is meant to look like in just a simple form we're not told a lot about Tychicus but he sounds like an amazing co-laborer he's just living out what God has called him to do but not only that we see this used of Epaphras as well now Epaphras is someone we were introduced to in chapter 1 I mean he's the He's the guy that brings the gospel to the Colossians and brings the gospel to Laodicea and to Hierapolis. And so he's the guy who's come into this region. And Paul hasn't come into this region yet, but Epaphras, who we see in verse uh, 7 of chapter 1, Paul's learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I mean, this is the guy who has served with them. And now what do we read? We read in verse 12 of chapter 4, Epaphras, who is one of you, is a servant of Christ Jesus. Why does, why does he do all that he does? Why, does? why did he give himself to the taking of the gospel to the Colossians so that this church could even exist? Because he served Jesus Christ. He was living out the wants of the head of the church. Giving himself to it. A good co-laborer is someone who submits themselves to serving Jesus Christ. 
Again, our sinful nature, what do we want to serve? We want to serve ourselves. That's who we want to serve. Um, but maybe in turn, we can, we can kind of move away from a little bit of our sinful nature and try to, maybe we, we can find a very charismatic person or whatever, and we say, well, you know, I won't serve myself. I'll serve him. You say, I, I'll, I'll serve someone like Paul, and then I'll be doing right. Again, Paul, Paul is not the guy. You know, First Corinthians, he confronts it there about their, like, some are of Paul and some are of Apollos and some are of Peter and some are of Jesus, and he's like, I'm glad I didn't baptize hardly any of you. So he's like, you're not mine. <laughs> um, yeah, and then Second Corinthians, he also challenges that. He talks about the super apostles. And he's like, he's not, he's not trying to make himself one of the super apostles, but he's like, what do I have that they don't have? I mean, come on. What do, what do they have that I don't have? I think that's the right way to summarize that. And then he goes on to talk about how, you know, he doesn't have anything. <laughs> so he's like, he's like, what is he saying? He's saying, we're just all human beings. We serve one, Jesus Christ. One head. That's how we're meant to live as good co-laborers. Which leads us into the fourth one, which is sacrificial. The giving of oneself in the service of another. So being a, being a servant and serving, that's, that's one thing. But now to actually, to actually give of ourselves, to give of our uh, blessings, to give of our benefits, to sacrifice them, to, to, to lay them down for, uh, in the service of another, which ultimately in our Scripture text would be Jesus Christ. In that, but in turn, like our giving ourselves... Uh, of our benefits, of our blessings, of, of our goodness, giving it to Christ is often to the benefit then of His church and the people in His church. And that's what we see. We see Aristarchus here, who is a fellow prisoner for the Gospel. In verse 10. Some, some people see this as maybe he was just, he was just uh, in the house together with Paul when he was in prison and caring for him, but... But that would, been, would have been true of all these guys that were around him. They were going in and out. They were caring for him um, as, the, as the Roman Empire would allow them to do. But, but Aristarchus here is actually described as my fellow prisoner. Here's a guy who's in chains. I think that's the right way to understand this. This is a guy who's chained up just like Paul. And he's chained up for the same reason as Paul. It's funny, you know, Paul... Which went, you know, in prison for the gospel. He wasn't the only one. In the, the, this first century, the fledgling church is growing here and growing by the ministry of people like Paul and others. And, and, and so it shouldn't be surprising that there's other Christians who are thrown in prison because of their preaching of the gospel. Many, many. Not only that, we know from history what? That Christians are thrown not just into prison, but they're thrown into the theaters to be killed, mauled by lions, and, and killed for show. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that is going on in Rome. These are the sacrifices that co-laborers in Christ are willing to make to further the gospel. And a good co-laborer is willing to sacrifice. Not only is Aristarchus someone we can look to for sacrifice, but Epaphras is one as well. Epaphras, it says here, he's in verse 12, being a servant of Christ, he greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. 
For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. He works hard for them. So here's a guy. Here's a guy who's come to Colossae, who started this church, who started the church in Laodicea, who started this church in Hierapolis. And what does he do? In working hard for them, he continues to move on and further the gospel. He doesn't stay. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, you know, take in the blessings of his labor. What does he? He keeps going. He keeps working. But not only that, the way he describes it here, we're going to talk about prayer in a minute. But notice what it says about his prayers, though he is always struggling on your behalf. What does that mean? Like, does it mean it was hard for him to pray for them? I don't, I don't think that's what is meant here. Rather, I think he took great pains to be in constant prayer for them. He willingly sacrificed his time. He's willingly sacrificed the, 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 the removal of maybe other pursuits or other pleasures so he could spend some time in prayer for them. That's the kind of sacrifice that, that Christianity calls us to. To be a good co-laborer in Christ, we sacrifice for one another. I think another example of sacrifice here in our text is in verse 15. It says, Give, give my greetings to the brothers in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So here is a lady who's pointed out as somebody who has opened her house in Laodicea so that the church might have a place to meet. Let me tell you, that can be a sacrifice. Imagine the church, GLC, meeting at your house next Sunday. Any volunteers? <laughs> yeah, we'll try it, right? <laughs> try it for one Sunday. But imagine that like being the place. Like that is the place. So uh, my parents, uh, while they were, while my dad was a pastor in Indiana, um, the church bought a farmhouse and we lived in the house and then the church met on the first floor of the farmhouse. And that was, that was interesting. You know? There were things that normally you could do in your house that you couldn't always do in that house. So, um, so you know, you, you couldn't leave stuff everywhere, um, definitely. And there are certain places that you had to, you couldn't even, I couldn't even go into certain rooms because, you know, that's the nursery. You can't go in there. And then, um, I know when I, my first visit to, uh, to Lubumbashi in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, um, the church was meeting on a veranda in uh, uh, an Indian couple's house. His name was Vinod. And, uh, you know, that was, that was where they met every week. And they had met since they planted that church. And now, um, not that long ago, a few years ago, they're able to move into a building they had built on the church property. So they now have a building. But for years, that was where they met. And they would come to the guy's house, and you'd have the veranda all clean, and they'd all set up the chairs. This is sacrifice. There's sacrifices that are meant to be made to be a good co-laborer for the gospel. And I think within our culture, it can be easy to think, well, I showed up on Sunday. I was there. I sat here. I heard. I listened. I walked out. I, there's some sacrifice of time there, yeah. And we're glad you showed up, <laughs> so don't ever think that we're not. But your call... The Christian ministry is, is more than that. It can't just be accomplished on a Sunday. Now, there's definitely many ways you can serve in the church, but then, you know, the church doesn't stay gathered all week, right? It goes out and there's opportunities to work. 
So like Aristarchus, you, you, you may need to share the gospel in uncomfortable ways that cost you. Like Epaphras, there may be things you choose not to do or times you choose not to watch things so that you can pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And we like Nympha, you need to consider how can I give of myself to the church? I'm not asking you to hold, your church, hold the church in your house this Sunday, next Sunday, but what are some ways I could give myself to the, the betterment of the church that God has called me to be in? So it's sacrificial. The next thing is comforting. What do good co-laborers look like? They're comforting. Serving to alleviate the distress of another. And here, the distress is Paul, who has been imprisoned for the gospel. And as he writes about Aristarchus, and then he writes about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Yeah, this is the guy who Barnabas and Paul had taken on their first journey with him. And a little ways in, he quit and went home. And then later, Barnabas says, hey, Paul, what about we take Mark again? And Paul's like, no, thank you. You know, we tried that once, remember? That didn't work out so well. And uh, there, there was, we're told there's a division. It doesn't say it was, it was a bad division. We're just told that Barnabas decided to take Mark, train him, and go a certain way. And Paul chose Silas and went another way. All right? And so they went their ways to further the gospel. doesn't say it was bad. I don't want you to make it seem like that. They had a disagreement, though, and... They resolved it by both spreading the gospel in different directions with different teams. But now we read about Mark. Mark, who's, uh, who's been being described here as someone who comforts Paul. And then there's Jesus, who is called Justice. Notice the, the next line there in verse 11. These are the only men from the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been, what, a comfort to me. Mark, who Paul had seemingly dismissed for ministry, is now a comfort to Paul along with these other guys. Now, when he says they're the only one from the circumcision, he's describing they're the only Jews that are with Paul. Not the only Jews in ministry. There's definitely Jews all over. But while he's in prison here, these are the only Jews he's coming in contact with. And, and God is using these Jews to comfort him, which, which makes me think about you know, things like in Romans where he's like, I would almost sacrifice my own soul for the salvation of my brothers my jewish the jewish people and what does god do he provides them with with converted jews to comfort him in prison for for paul to be able to see how the kingdom of god is affecting even his jewish brothers so we see this comfort that is given and and in turn that we're meant to give comfort as well i think this is one we probably see more easily than others we're to be we're to be able to share the, the truth of God with our brothers and sisters in Christ and give them comfort, alleviate their distress. As maybe they've fallen into sin, what do we do? We preach the gospel to them. And what is it? That there is forgiveness in Christ. Like if, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, if we have put our faith in Him, then yes, as we've sinned, we have to face the consequences of, of our sin. But our ultimate consequence in eternity has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we do not have to live discouraged even as we struggle in our sin. Now, maybe it's other things. Maybe it's ailments. Maybe it's illness. What, is, what, what does the Scripture tell us? Our bodies are wasting away. It shouldn't surprise us. But what is our spirit is meant to be renewed day by day. 
Like our strength doesn't come from being healthy. Our strength comes from knowing God. We comfort one another with these words. That God is doing all things for your good, what? To conform you to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That the, the wonderful, glorious things that you celebrate in your life and the horribly tragic things that you sorrow in your life are all part of the glorious purpose of God to make you more like Jesus Christ. These are comforting words that we're meant to give to one another. We're meant to be this kind of comfort. Speak the truth. Notice, notice how he describes them. They aren't just Jews. They are men of the circumcision. That's how he's describing Jews. But they're, they're part of the fellow workers for what? For the kingdom of God. That's why I would strongly say that, that what is shared with Paul that comforts him and encourages him is the truth about God's kingdom and the furtherance of his kingdom and the truth of God's word. And then we go to the next one is prayer. Interceding on behalf of another. Again, we go back to Epaphras in verse 12. Always struggling on behalf of, in his prayers for you. He is devoting himself to pray for his brothers and sisters, which again, you know, is a pattern that we see of Paul as well. Paul begins this letter by talking about how he prays for them and is thankful to God for them. And, and Paul actually starts most of his letters with a kind of prayer like that in regards to these churches. The idea of, of interceding for one another and lifting one another up in prayer is something throughout the New Testament that we see. And what do we read here? We read that, that Epaphras' desire for them is that they may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He sees what's most important. And it's not that you shouldn't pray for health. You should pray for healing. You know, we're praying for Diane Katina as she goes through her cancer. And the desire is for her to be strengthened through that and that she would recover from that. She would be healed from that. And it's not wrong to pray for those things, but realize there are more significant things than that. And as you remember your brothers and sisters in prayer, it's not just about the daily things, the financial issues and all that, but also, and more importantly, their standing being mature in the will of God. If they, they know what God's calling them to do, all right, that's part of it, but are you mature if you know what God's calling you to do? Like you can know what your parents are telling you to do, right? What shows maturity? Actually doing what your parents tell you to do, right? So when he says stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God, what does he say? That they would know God's will, God's call on them as, as his people, and that they would do it. And not only that they would know it, they would be fully assured of it. That this is truly what God's calling me to do. This is truly what God's calling us to do. And I think we've, we've preached enough vision sermons on you know, the, the beginnings of the year that hopefully most of you are convinced that, that our mission statement truthfully and accurately sums up what God calls the church to do. You're not mature yet until you actually pursue it. Go after it. Hopefully you're fully assured of it and that you would. And that, that is my prayer for you guys over and over again, that you would pursue it. And that's, I hope that you're praying for one another, that, that we would cont continue to pursue the will of God and maturity with assurance, what He's called us to do. So while these may not be all of what 
all the characteristics of what good co-laborers look like, these are definitely the ones we see in this text. And these are definitely enough for us to get started and work on how we are living as co-laborers. But the second question is, what do good co-laboring churches look like? What do good co-laboring churches look like? Well, one, they're communicating with another. Notice in verse 15, as Paul writes, he says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. All right? He's writing to the church at Colossae. And in his letter, he says, greet the church in Laodicea. What does that mean? It means that Paul's expectation is that they're communicating with one another. That as Paul greets this church, this church is going to be able to communicate his greetings to this other church. There's this communication so that they would give greetings, so that they would share information with one another. But not only that, we see, secondly, an affirmation of God's truth together. Notice in verse 16, and with, when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So they're affirming God's truth together. All right, here's the letter that ultimately they will see as God's truth, and ultimately God will preserve us as truth, not just for the Colossian church, but for all churches. But that letter is meant to now go to Laodicea. Share that with them. And so what, what in turn happens? The church at Laodicea is saying, okay, this letter that the Colossians got from Paul, that's, that's truth for us too now. And in turn, we opened up Colossians this year, and what are we affirming the whole time? This is not just truth for the church at Colossae, it's truth for us too. We affirm God's truth together. And, and so we read God's revelation, but you know, as Paul's saying to read it, I mean, we have to understand implied in that is the idea of applying it as well, living it out, putting it into practice. They are meant to affirm God's truth together, not only in, 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 in speaking it, but in living it also. And then, now, there's some questions maybe that come up in your mind about this. What about this letter to Laodicea? So, we don't have it. All right. So, then that's true also of there's, there was at least four letters written to the Corinthian church, and we only have two. So, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that it didn't contain God's truth. It just meant it isn't scripture truth uh, we can learn about god from creation is that god's truth sure it is but it's not scripture and uh, so god preserved the word that we need to to live out all of life and all of faith and so we're told that as as peter writes uh, he tells us that we've been given all we need for life and practice and godly living in godliness and, and faithfulness all we need to understand god and his way for us, and so we have that. So there was another letter, but that is not something God determined we would need today. And so he did not preserve it. Then we see as well, number three, what do good co-laboring churches look like? And they're encouraging one another. They're encouraging one another. Notice that in verse 17, and then say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So here the church is meant to encourage Archippus in his ministry. Now we don't know what type of ministry Archippus had. Could he have been the, uh, a pastor or the pastor at the church of Colossae? Surely he could have. Um, in turn, that would kind of be an inter-church encouragement. But as you see kind of how the context is going, you know, Paul is encouraging the Colossian church to reach out to 
Laodicean church to share the truth with them, to greet them, and in turn to say to Archippus, fulfill your ministry. It seems likely, and as many people think that maybe Philemon is actually the pastor in Colossae, which may be the case, it seems likely that within the context that this is probably the minister in Laodicea. And what is he telling the church at Colossae to do? Encourage the minister in this church over there. What a blessing that churches would work together like this. Now, we live in a, in a culture, I think it's our American culture, a bit of independence that exists within not just ourselves, but within our churches as well. Um, something that wasn't always true, specifically about more of a Baptistic culture, and yet um, was definitely true in you know, the last hundred years in America, Baptistic culture of this idea of kind of independent churches. And so independent, they hardly ever know or communicate with other churches. And yet, what do we see here? We see this desire by Paul that not only the church would communicate, but that they would affirm the same truth together, that they would demonstrate encouragement to one another. Which leads us to point number three, connecting to everyday life. First question, are you involved in gospel ministry? If you're an unbeliever here, it's something you can't do. As a believer, a believer is called to gospel ministry. An unbeliever is unable to participate in that. And so the call to you as an unbeliever would be to repent of your sins, turn to Christ. Trust in Him. Be transferred from the kingdom of the, uh, of the, dark, of the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved Son. And now that you're part of the kingdom of the beloved Son, you're able to put on the team jersey and able to play for the team, able to do gospel ministry. But, but you can't, apart of apart from God having transferred you through the redemption and the forgiveness of sin that is found only in Jesus Christ. And if you have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you more about that. If you're online watching us today, there'll be a slide at the end that has all our contact information. Contact us. We'd love to talk to you about that. But dear believer, are you involved in gospel ministry? As you consider what, what these co-laborers of Paul were giving themselves to. Are you giving yourselves to this? Are you desirous to give your life to gospel ministry? That is truly the call of every Christian. But unfortunately, we don't often live that call out. And so it needs to be confronted in life. So is that something we are pursuing? Second question, how are you being a co-laborer in gospel ministry? Or maybe I should say, how are you being a good co-laborer in, in gospel ministry. You know, as we, as we look at the characteristics of this text, I mean, be loving and faithful and serving and sacrificial and comforting and prayerful towards your fellow Christians. You say, well, how can I do that? Well, maybe you take one of those and just begin to study what that word looks like in Scripture, specifically, specifically in the New Testament. Maybe even start Acts and beyond. You know, the church has started in Acts. So read Acts and beyond. And say, what does it look like for people to be loving, what does it look like in each of these churches? So in Colossae, and in Ephesus, and in Philippi, and in Thessalonica, what, as Paul calls them to this loving, or faithful, or serving, what is that, what is that meant to look like? Maybe look for the one another's in the New Testament. When it says do something for one another, or to one another, or with one another, you know, studying those. And then, and then begin to put it into practice. And just like, just like when we think about uh, the, those household rules that Paul gave, you know, uh, 
what I said there was it's, it starts first at home and then it's meant to go beyond home. The same thing's true here. Start, start putting these in practice in your local church with your co-laborers who you've covenanted together with. Start here and then, and then expand it to those that we have a partnership with. And we prayed for uh, the Curtises and, and our hope to have a partnership with the Sanchez's. Begin to express these things towards them as well. And then go beyond that. Just churches in our area that, as, as you know, they faithfully preach the gospel. Encourage them. Celebrate them. And continue to go beyond and beyond and across our nation and across the globe. Think about how you can be a good co-laborer in gospel ministry. And then last question, how can you express thankfulness to God for the co-laborers He has gifted to you? Well, I think from, from our study here, specifically the Papyrus, pray for them. Thanking God for them. Express your thankfulness to God by actually expressing your thankfulness to God for them. They're gifts given to us. We, we don't deserve them. It's grace that we would have anyone that comes alongside and ministers. And then tell them, you know, I'm so thankful to God for you. And here's why. Here's what I see. I mean, what does Paul do? He's describing these co-laborers in Christ that serve alongside him. That's, maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you need to just tell them how thankful you are to God for them. And then also tell others. I mean, he's writing about them to the church in Colossae, so maybe we should tell others. As we're talking about one another, let's, let's, let's not gossip in a way that's negative. I don't know that it's called gossip, man, if it's positive. It's really like, you know, affirming people, you know, or affirm one another to other people. Like they're, you know what, I just I saw this in your life, this in their life, and I'm so thankful. They just cared for me the other day. I just... I was, so, I was blown away by their care. I'm so thankful to God for that. And that can be fellow believers, but that can be unbelievers too. You know how encouraging it is as you begin to talk to unbelievers and like, oh, I don't have people like that in my life. Well, here's why. It's because of Christ. Not just because they're amazing people, um, you know, but because Christ has now knit us together. And, and they're like, huh. This amazing opportunity to share the gospel, right? Well, let me tell you why Christ is so amazing and how Christ can knit us together. Well, here's what he did. And so you, your opportunity is to both express your thankfulness to God by telling others and then sharing the gospel as well. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful again for the opportunity to look in this text today. And now as we, as we close, we ask that you would Encourage us and strengthen us to be good co-laborers in Christ. Or may, may, we not, may we not look at how someone might be a good co-laborer toward us. Or because again, that goes back to our initial issue of our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness. Or guard us from it, our pride, our selfishness. Give us humility with a desire to live like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. Good core laborers who give themselves lovingly, faithfully, sacrificially, comfort, care, pray for their fellow believers, for their fellow co-laborers. May that be true of us this week, and may that bring glory 
through our Savior Jesus Christ and unity through the church. True unity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And we thank all of you who joined us online. We're so glad that you were with us today. God bless you.